Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Good to see you all. And um, a very big greeting to everybody uh, from CCK in Brighton, soon to be Emmanuel Church. Uh, we're actually changing our name um, as of January the 1st. We'll cease to be called Church of Christ the King. And we're taking on the new name, Emmanuel. Um, if you want to find out more about what we're doing and why we're doing it in terms of that name change, then um, you can find out from our website, which, which actually uh, will be a new website, which I can't remember the, the URL for. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> we'll tell you more, definitely. You could find it. Actually, weareemmanuel.com is what it will be on, but it will be a new website on January the 1st, launching to the universe. So uh, looking forward to that. Really, really good to be with you. Love being back in the city and seeing Holland in Christmas season. Amsterdam is, is good all year round, but there's something special about Amsterdam at Christmas, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, and it's just good to be with you as a church. Um, really love being with Matt and Joe again, staying at Lenny and Maria's house last night. I'm kind of secretly hoping my flight gets cancelled so I can stay there forever. <laughs> because they have the best gift of hospitality in the world. They, I got breakfast in bed this morning. It's cool. So you know if you stay at Lena Maria's house, that's what to expect. Okay, they've set the bar high, okay. Okay, so if you have your Bible, maybe you would turn to the book of Matthew. We're looking at the story of the wise men. This is part of the Christmas story, and I want us to learn from it ourselves today. Matthew in chapter two, verses one to 12. And I'll read it to you and then we'll pray together and get into what it has to say. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what we celebrate in Christmas, the giving of your son. And we pray that as you've sent your son, you'd now send your Holy Spirit so that these words, these ancient words of scripture will not just educate, but will penetrate our hearts and bring life change and great glory to you in this city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, the story of the wise men, the three wise men, as we sometimes refer to them, we don't know how many there were. Uh, they brought three gifts, and so we have traditionally considered them to be three men, but they could have been more or less. We don't know precisely. We've, we've depicted them in various ways over the centuries to the point where they probably become a little bit mythical in our imagination. Perhaps we doubt this story, we find it strange, and we, we, we imagine it in sort of uh, Christmas card images, like this one that, that's probably uh, pretty typical of the kind of uh, iconography that goes with this story. Uh, there are other ones that uh, occasionally uh, are brought up. Let's just show another. This one I tend to think of as the kind of traditional uh, this is quite English, I suppose it's kind of West European, it's a stained glass window showing a, a West European depiction of the wise men. They, they don't look so much like wise men from the East as wise men from the 1970s, I think you'd agree. <laughs> kind of, uh, or maybe kind of hipster men from the, uh, from the artisan coffee house. But anyway, they, 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 they are the traditional kind of characterization that many cultures have received over the years, it's very kind of ethereal, it's in stained glass, it's very beautiful, it's very honoring. It's possibly a little bit ahistorical. Maybe some of us think, yeah, I'm not sure if that really happened. But then you go on to the next one, you get the uh, uh, Eastern version of the same kind of thing over in the, the Eastern churches of, the, um, uh, of Russia and Greece and those kinds of areas. And then uh, another image that's a little different um, this is what we associate the wise men with in my country, at least during nativity season. School plays. <laughs> Children with dishcloths on their head and fuzzy beards being the wise men. There you go. And then the next, um, this is just thrown in for fun. Now there go, wise men. I don't really know what I mean to say from this. It's just there. Um, the point is that we've, we've kind of imbibed myths and ideas about this story that may or may not be helpful for us. It's worth remembering these places that are described here are actual places. And this book, Matthew, was written by an actual person who lived uh, at the time of these events. Uh, if, if we understand it correctly, then Matthew himself would have been an eyewitness of many of the events of Jesus' life. The, these, this is describing actual history, written by people who were careful to record events accurately and uh, we, we forget even it's, it, it's silly that we forget given the fact that Bethlehem has been in the news literally this morning literally this week literally events on an international scale bring our attention back to Bethlehem I had a friend this very week who was in a hotel in Bethlehem meeting with some Palestinian Christian pastors in that part of the world and because of the riots and the upheaval that's taking place in the area, the demonstrations, uh, he and his, his friends were unable to leave the hotel. They were not sure they'd be able to get home. Uh, these are real places, real events. 
And uh, we, we mustn't relegate them to the category of myth. We make a mistake when we do that. One of the more remarkable books I've come across in recent years is a book called The Great Christ Comet. Um, let me just show you a picture of it. You might want to hunt this book down, actually. It's written by a man called Colin Nicholl. And uh, I think we've got a slide of it. I do, I do recommend that you look out for it and um, uh, if you're interested in looking up the accuracy of what the Bible teaches. This is written by an extraordinary scholar who's disciplined in, in New Testament scholarship, but also in astronomy. And he's taken time over many, many years to really carefully get to grips with what may have been the, the, the nature of these events, what actually took place. And he's come up with a, an, an explanation that involves the, the, the star being actually a great comet. And it's an amazing book. I, I, there's too much for me to say now about why this book is amazing. What it actually tells us about what was going on here and the reason why these men would have traveled so far from such a distance in the east to come all the way to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem I, I, I don't want to give it away. It's like a detective story. The things that he's worked out about why they would have been compelled from their kind of Persian Babylonian culture to come all the way are absolutely fascinating. I do recommend it as, if you're interested in that kind of thing. It's quite a, 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 a riveting read. But I'd say all that to help us to see that this stuff is real. It's not presented to us in the Bible as a legend, but as a historical set of events. And it's a set of events with a compelling message for us here in the 21st century. It tells us a great deal about faith, about what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as God's promised rescuer. God's promised saviour, God's promised king. It tells us 20 centuries later what it means for us, for me and you, to have the same trust, the same faith as these wise men had. That's what's hidden, really. Not so much hidden, it's there on display if we just look at it thoughtfully and with God's help uh, at this story. Because these, these wise men were an example of faith. They, they, they took an enormous decision to chop a large amount of time out of their lives, many, 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 many months of traveling. They, they observed the heavens, they thought this stuff through carefully. They, they, they were called magi, which means great ones. They probably had quite a lot of responsibilities, a lot of wealth, a lot of power in their own territory, they could have stayed and continued their careers living in probably comparative bliss with a lot of comfort and luxury. But instead they got on their camels and they rode for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles into what for them must have been absolutely unknown territory across all kinds of terrains and difficulties and potential robbers and, and, and uh, diff, you know, con men and, and all kinds of uh, shocks that they must have been exposed to in the, in the open at night and, and at day and various dangers. They just did it. They went and they carried on going until they found the place of Jesus' birth. I was at a, a wedding uh, a few weeks ago and uh, 
during the reception, the, the groom got up and welcomed people who had come from different parts of the world. And you know what happens in sometimes these, these occasions. Who came here from the furthest? Everyone has to stand up. And you sit down if you came from this place or that place. Or you sit down if, you came for, if it took you less than an hour to get here. And my wife and I sat down instantly because you know, we, we practically rolled out of bed and we were there. It was very near where we live. So it was very easy for us to get to this wedding. And then it was, you know, get down, sit down if you took two hours, sit down if you took three hours. There were people who were still standing up after three hours, and we were kind of, wow, well done. It just carried on. And there were still people standing up after he said, 10 hours, 11 hours. You think, okay, this is getting a little bit strange. And then he got to literally like 72 hours. People who'd spent three days getting to the wedding because they lived in a rural, isolated part of Venezuela. And they, they had to travel all kinds of different vehicles to get to this wedding. And it, it kind of struck me at the time I thought, you know, I've, I've got a certain perspective on this wedding that these people that travel from this part of Venezuela have not got. They, they see it differently because they've, they've traveled so far. They've taken such pains and such expenses because for them it was so important, it was so valuable, it was so necessary to be there, they were prepared to make the journey. And it's kind of this lesson that we should draw from these extraordinary people. They did that great journey in huge contrast to the people who lived just up the road. I mean, when they get to Jerusalem, where Herod is and his scribes, the, the various experts in the scriptures, they, they say, where is the Christ who is to be born in this place? And Herod's like, oh, I'm not really sure. In fact, I don't really like the sound of Christ. What does that mean? That means that he's the king? I thought I was the king. And you get the pretty bleak story that follows. But the scribes themselves, the experts in the scriptures, they know that the, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem because they've got the book of Micah in the Old Testament that predicts it. But instead of getting on camels themselves, is he, is he here? Let's, let's go to Bethlehem with the wise men. You've heard that he, the star, well, tell us more. We'll come with you, we'll come with you. We've been reading the Bible all our lives and waiting for the Messiah. Surely if he's come, we should join you at Bethlehem. We should join you. <laughs> but they don't. They just live a couple of miles away. I mean, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are like that. And they just stay where they are. Not interested, not interested. Not interested in just a few minutes on the road. What is that about? You can be that close to the answer to the universe. You can be that close to meeting God, but not prepared to cross the road. Not prepared, not interested. That is bleak. That's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? People who, who get on camels and journey for, for months can get ahead of you, even though you were the first in the queue. You were the one that Jesus privileged you with. He came close to you. Maybe there's a message for people like us in cities like Amsterdam and in my city in England and places which have had Christianity for hundreds of years. But we're too mature for it now. We're too advanced. We're too scientific. We're too intelligent. We're too civilized for Christianity. Give me a break. Of course, we're not too civilized. We're getting less civilized every year. But we, we think we know too much. 
So Jesus is just left in the manger while we get on with our important lives in the city. Meanwhile, people from the other side of the world are meeting Jesus in their millions. People in countries like China where it's illegal in some parts of the world to even preach about Jesus, to even own a Bible. Parts of the Islamic world. Places like North Korea. There are people becoming Christians eager to do so. People who make the journey, for whom it's difficult, but they'll do it. But people like us who live in the relics of Christendom in Western Europe, well, we're too sophisticated. We need to be careful. There's a warning right here. And what I want to do before I finish is, is, is just bring out some of the, the, the ways that we see faith on display in these guys' lives. That the subject or that the title for this message is joy, and you'll see why in a moment. But really what we, we've got to notice here is how they, how they reach joy. And, and what's characterized here is a life of faith. Life of faith. What does faith look like in the lives of these here wise men? And by the way, let me just get something cleared up straight off. Faith must be understood properly. Most people I find when they hear the word faith, what they hear is blind faith. Blind faith. If you, if you go up to one of my friends in Brighton and say, you know, what's faith? What they're very often likely to say is it means believing things that aren't true. That's what faith is. Knowledge is when you believe something that's definitely true. Faith is when you believe something that definitely ain't. That's faith. That's not what faith means. That's not the meaning of faith. That is not good. If you believe things that are patently not true, you're not faithful, you're mad. God will not commend you for being mad. He'll say, well done, you're insane, you're in. Welcome to the club. Okay? And I'm genuinely sorry, if you're, if you're looking into Christianity and one of the things that's kept you away is the feeling you have that all Christians are deliberately casting off the truth, deliberately deluding themselves, deliberately la, 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 about facts. I'm sorry. That's, that's not real Christianity, and we're sorry that we've confused you. Okay, if you've met people like that, then please don't think that Jesus is like that. Because the nature of faith is, is a little bit different than that. Faith is when you actually are truly so persuaded about something that you are prepared to line up your life on the basis of it. You're prepared to say, I'm so convinced about this that I will, I will work my life out from that. That will mean that sometimes it will, it will not feel as true, but you'll still be utterly persuaded and know that it's true. It's very simple. There are time, this time of year, it's probably a little bit harder to, to feel like the sun is actually out there. It doesn't feel like it's there at the moment. But it certainly is. I'll be on a plane later. I think I might see it. Well, it depends what time of day it is. But you, you, you know what I mean. You get beyond the clouds and it's definitely there. We, we go through seasons in life where we don't feel the truth of what we believe. But we, we stop and we think about it. And we sit back and we think, wait a minute, nothing's changed. I'm still persuaded and it still totally makes sense. I'm utterly persuaded about this. And so I look at my feelings and I kind of tell them where to go because I remind myself of what I know. That's what faith is. Faith is when you tell yourself what you already know. 
you're persuaded, and so you stay persuaded. And, and this is what these guys are like. They've seen something that has utterly staggered them. What they've seen in the heavens, this star that's rising, this comet, if you take the thesis of Colin Nichol, and, you, and they, they are good astronomers, they know their craft, they know their science, they're wise men, okay? They're not lunatics, they're wise men. And they've carefully analyzed and they've come to a conclusion so convincing that they've left everything. That's faith. That's real faith. They are persuaded. So don't think that I'm talking about blind faith. I'm not talking about self-delusion. I'm talking about being strong on what you know, what you've become convinced of, putting your trust in it, just as you put your trust on the chair that's holding you right now. You're sitting on it because you're convinced that it can carry you. It's really very simple. Let's look at some characteristics. I want to look at three. First of all, faith gets us off the throne. Second, faith seeks reward. And thirdly, faith feels like weakness. So at least sometimes, okay? First of all, faith gets us off the throne. This is an interesting story for lots of reasons. One, one of the, the things I notice is that People use the story to illustrate a different principle. So there's a, a song by a, a folk singer from the UK called Frank Turner, um, which is quite a, a moving song, called The Journey of the Magi. And he, te he tells this story. It's one of the, he tells a few stories. This is one of the ones he tells. And, and the way he makes the point, he's, he's not a believer. As far as I know, he's this, Frank Turner's not a Christian. And so he really tells a different he, he, he tells the story, but he uses it to make a different point. And the point he makes at the end of his song is, find your star and take to the road. Believe in your star. In other words, believe in yourself. What, even if the world around you is telling you that you're crazy to get on your camel and ride across the desert pursuing your star, don't listen to them because you've got to follow your star. You must follow your star. You must be brave and have strong, firm decisions. Believe in yourself. And I suppose he's got a part of it, right? He's talking about trusting in what you've come to know and believing in it, but he's made surely a different different application here because the idea is there that we've all got our own star and that's really what we believe isn't it in western culture that's what we've come to believe and accept that life is about us finding our own inner motive our own passion our own worth and greatness and pursuing that above all other things finding what it is about me that makes me great and following my star that's what I've got to do with my life to make it really count that's a very attractive idea. It's a strange idea when you stop and consider it because if there's no God, if we live in a godless universe, then what on earth do I mean by my passions and my desires? They're nothing. They're just kind of chemical synapses going off in my, this kind of gray matter here. There's nothing real about them. My passions and desires, what are they? They're just, they're just chemicals. It's just evolutionary baggage. It doesn't really mean anything. I'm not, I'm not obligated to it. Following my passions. If, if there's no God, then nothing actually matters in the end. Nothing does. Certainly not my star, whatever that is. It seems to me like we want to have our cake and eat it. We want to have life have a meaning, but we don't want there to be a God who gives it meaning. 
We can't really do both. We've got to choose. Either there's a God <laughs> or there's no such thing as meaning. But because there is a God, there is such a thing as one meaning. And the message of the Bible is not find your star. The message of the Bible is there is the one. This is the whole point of the story. They come because they see the one star. They don't say, I've got to find my star. They see the one thing that history is all about. In fact, the Christmas story is full of this. There's this one star. There's this one town called Bethlehem. There's this one lady, Mary, who's going to have a baby. There's this one baby that's to be born. There's this one king, this one saviour that God is sending into the world. One hero, one rescuer for sinful people like you and me. The only hope for lost, broken humanity. There's one hope called Jesus. That's, that's the message here. And God's prepared to steer creation to make the point. Isn't that incredible? God's prepared, he's so committed to getting his, his one son to be born and to be worshipped, to be praised, that he's prepared to play around with stars to get people's attention. God bends the cosmos. He, he bends Caesar. In Luke's gospel, he tells another part of the story. He says, Mary lives in Nazareth in northern Israel, right up in Galilee. It's not even in Judea. And she's got to give birth to the baby in Bethlehem. How's, how is this peasant girl with no training? You know, this isn't going to happen. Jesus, the Messiah, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. What does God do? Well, he speaks to the leader of the world <laughs> at the time, or at least the leader of the kind of Western world, the, the emperor in Rome, and makes the emperor do a census where everyone has to return to the place of their own uh, upbringing or the, their, family, their family town. And Mary's family town is Bethlehem. So she has to travel all the way back to Bethlehem for a census just in time for her to have a baby. And everyone in the whole Roman Empire is having to move around because it seems yeah, there's some, something's going on. It, we, it's a bit confusing. Luke's gospel doesn't give all the detail. But a lot of people moving around. Why? Just because God wants to get one peasant girl back to Bethlehem. That's amazing. God who's in charge of the heavens and the earth. He's, he's moving emperors, he's moving armies, he's moving everything. He's moving stars because there's one king he's concerned about. There's one purpose to history. There's one plan. History in your life is not, not really meant to be about us trying to find our own star and our own destiny. Compelling and Disneyfied as that sounds, it's not really a helpful message for our lives. You might find that you reach your star and you realize it's not that special after all. Because there's only really one who we need to get to know truly. So this, this message gets us off the throne. This message of faith, true faith, is when we put our trust not in ourselves, but we put our trust, our faith, in the one that God has provided, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's gift to us. And the way God will speak to you, well, it might be through all kinds of, he might draw your attention to Jesus in a very surprising way. It might be through a star. It might be through a miracle. It might be through a dramatic answer to prayer. You might cry out to God in desperation and find that he answers your prayer and you'll realize that means Jesus must be real after all. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe it would just be reading the scripture. You'll read the Bible for yourself. And you'll start to see this makes sense. This is about God and I get it. This is about me as well. I need, I need a savior. I need Jesus. 
For these wise men, they had a mixture. They had this miraculous, powerful comet, or star as they call it, and they have the scriptures later on. They get to Jerusalem and they get the scribes telling them, oh, we'll help you with Micah. We'll take you to the book of the Old Testament that tells us where the Messiah is to be born. They have a mixture of God revealing himself in creation and God revealing himself in his word. Which is a helpful kind of mixture, isn't it? That's how it often is. Ultimately, we need God's word. Some of you, you say, well, I feel close to God when I'm out in the woods or I'm, I'm out on my own or I'm out on the sea. Or that's where I feel really close to God because creation whispers God's voice and I feel closer to God through creation. And that, that surely can be true. If we're near creation and we recognize it comes from God, we can learn some things. But we need God's words in order to put these thoughts and ideas into more clarity (coughs) and God kindly gives us just like he gave these guys this book of Micah written hundreds of years before Jesus and predicting some of the details of Jesus life so the first thing about faith gets us off the throne second thing faith seeks reward faith seeks reward we might feel that that's a bit selfish but God doesn't seem to think so The problem is not that we seek rewards. The problem with us is that we seek the wrong ones. We seek rewards that are actually not right for us. These wise men, they are definitely pursuing something. They're excited. They want something. That's why they're taking a journey. There's no one forcing them. This isn't religion. They're not being dutiful. There's not some rule book in their own religion that says you really ought to go on a camel across the desert for hundreds of miles to find it. That's what you really should do with your life because that's what good boys do in this school that you go to. It's not like that. They've they've got a passion. Something's gripped them with a desire to have something of God, to meet God, to find something. And their reward is found. You get it right there in that verse where it says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. (laughs) That's kind of underlining it four times. (laughs) They rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. It could have just said they rejoiced. But it's it's like, it's really emphasizing it. It could have said they rejoiced exceedingly. It could have just said they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. No, it, it says... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a big deal. You know, in, our, in our Christmas cards, they look like this. <laughs> well, maybe. That's, that's, a, that's positive. You know, it's more likely to be. That's kind of exceedingly with great joy. But, but they, I, I, can't, I don't know what you imagine. Try and imagine. Try and imagine what that looks like. These wives, they traveled and they found him. Him. You know, another man found Jesus just after he was born. The baby was brought to the temple by his parents as a baby. This is in Luke's gospel. And Simeon, who's in the, in the precincts of the temple at the time, sees the baby and he says, I can die now. I can die. <laughs> I've seen him. My eyes have seen him. I've waited all my life for this moment. There's something about meeting Jesus that satisfies you in a way that nothing else can come close. Nothing else. 
the things that we seek for and pursue and travel for and spend money on, they don't come close. This is, this is what they seek. They seek a reward, a real, real God. The real God, if he's really there, imagine what he's like. The Bible makes this really clear. If you think, well, am I supposed to pursue God for a reward? Am I supposed to pursue a reward from God? You're commanded to. I mean, that's what the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, if, if you were drawn near to God, verse six, if, if you want to draw near to God, you must believe, not just that he's there. It's one thing to believe that God is real. But the Bible goes further. It says, you mustn't just believe he's real. You must believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. If you think, yes, I believe there might be a God out there, whatever it is, well, that's, that's not faith. Faith is when you know not just that he's there, but you know he's good. You know he's really good. You know he's worth pursuing. You're so convinced that he's worth pursuing that you'll leave everything else behind for him. You'll travel for him. You'll make your home in a different city for him. You will do anything to have him. You'll do anything just to have him. That's faith. That's faith. If it's not like that with you, I ask you, have you seen him? Have you seen how good he is? And, and perhaps for some of us, it's time we were reminded again of how good he is. Let me ask you, maybe you've been following Jesus for many years. Maybe you've been a Christian. Maybe you've been part of Liberty Church for quite a while and you're enjoying friendships in the church and you like being with, with other Christians and, and you're enjoying the good things that God brings into your life. But maybe you've just forgotten for a little while quite how good he is. And I say to you at the end of 2017, as you look into 2018, you start peeking into the next year, let me dare you imagine how good God could be in 2018. Imagine how much of God you could get to know. Imagine what miracles you could see. Imagine what answers to prayer. Imagine what an adventure you could have with God next year. Start dreaming. Start praying now as the year draws to its close. My friend, never, never get into the Herod or scribe way of life where God's down the road and we don't notice. Start dreaming like these wise men. Pursue the reward of knowing God. If you seek me, he says in, Jer in Jeremiah 29, you will find me. If you look with all your heart, you will find me. God is the God who rewards those who seek him. Don't be too easily satisfied. If your Christian life is just an ordinary Christian life, that may, that may be a good thing because we need to be faithful in the ordinary. But if you've allowed your God to be ordinary, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. A Christian is a person with an extraordinary God. A God who does things, a God who breaks into their life, a God who answers prayer, a God who's always surprising and stretching us. And even if our life looks kind of ordinary on the outside, we know a God who is not ordinary. And so we need to be looking for the reward of seeking him, knowing him, experiencing him in our lives and trusting that he'll keep showing up in the future as we wait on him and pursue him. The third and final thing that faith is characterized by, it feels like weakness. It feels like weakness. You know, there's a, there's a famous poem by T.S. Eliot about this story. And he talks about, he imagines in his poem how it would have felt for these wise men as they were told by all the other travelers and the people around them 
that this was all folly. This is foolishness. Why are you traveling away from your riches and your power and your status back in Persia and Babylon? Why are you doing this bizarre journey across the desert? And why are you, why are you putting yourself through such extremes? It's just such foolishness to find a, a king from some ancient religion of the Jews. What? This sounds foolishness. And when they get there, and the embarrassment, I suppose, of turning up in Jerusalem and Herod doesn't even know what they're talking about. What king? What are you, who are you, you strange people with your strange clothes and your camels? Who are you? People who trust God will often be forced to feel a little bit weak, a little bit foolish, like you turned up to the party in the wrong clothes, like you're, you're just the odd one out. They are follow Jesus. And what? What did you say? You believe the Bible. You feel the weakness of it. Sometimes you, you do struggle thinking, gosh, this, this, this is true, I believe it. But sometimes, wow, it feels hard to believe in the world that we live in. You feel the weakness of faith. And the Bible's very honest about that. Sometimes faith comes in gradual stages to very weak people. Jesus' disciples, when Jesus grows up to have a group of followers, they're following him around for a while, perhaps a few years before they even begin to understand who he really is. Faith, faith doesn't make us into heroes. Faith isn't a very heroic thing in itself. All faith is, is depending in the real hero. Faith doesn't draw attention to itself. If we think of ourselves as mighty men and women of faith, we haven't understood faith. Faith is ultimately about the mighty, trustworthy, faithful one. Who's, who's, who's trustworthy when we feel weak our faith is weak our faith struggles we, we don't feel filled with faith quite a lot of the time and we, we perturbed by the confusing situation God leads us through the desert and the star doesn't seem to be around anymore what's going on? no one knows what we're here for what is this? we travel for months I've given up loads for you I've, I've, I've spent so much money giving to other people. I've served in the church. I've, I've, I've really worked hard to be a good Christian. I've been faithful. And it doesn't feel like God's involved in my life at the moment. I just feel weak. I just feel forgotten. I feel kind of foolish, in fact. Well, don't, don't, don't worry. Faith does feel like that sometimes. It does. It does. God, God, God will have us in that position where our confidence is not in ourselves or in the circumstances but in his faithfulness even if it means seasons of waiting on him waiting for answers that don't seem to be coming for quite a while because what we think of is a weak situation it is actually often God doing something extraordinary these wise men coming all that journey just a few of them on camels through the desert and they get there and they go to the palace and there's no one at the palace for them. They get sent to a, a stable or a cave where there's a baby in, in a trough. That's what a manger is, like something that animals get their food out of. It's just it's undignifying, humiliating. I can imagine the temptation they might have felt. I didn't come this far for this. Take me to, I'm a, royal, I'm, a, I'm a great one, I'm a magi. I didn't come here to be embarrassed. What is it like for you when, when God offends your sensibilities? 
takes you on a journey and, and you, you're thrown in with people that you didn't expect to be thrown in with or, or you just your expectations aren't quite met and you've trusted God and you've been on a journey with him. What is it like for you? Do you feel like quitting at those times? Feel like God's made a terrible mistake? These guys rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. I guess they understood the nature of faith. They, they, they trusted God. They, they were humble enough through that process. And what we think of as something quite weak, God is doing something extraordinary. Just a few wise men turning up from the east, God is keeping promises he made to Abraham thousands of years before. He's bringing all the nations of the world to the seed of Abraham. You read the promises of the Old Testament in books like Isaiah, where, where it says people will come and bring their gold and their frankincense. It says that in Isaiah 60. People from other nations will travel to bring their gold and their frankincense as a gift. And God's fulfilling it. Sometimes, friends, if you're a Christian, you perhaps have seen some of this already in your life. You go through a season where you think, what's God doing? This is really difficult. God's not involved. This is a really painful time. And then you look back and you think, oh my goodness. I had no idea. God was actually doing something extraordinary through that time. He was keeping a promise. He was fulfilling something that he'd said many years before. These guys, I wonder if they felt like giving up. They've got gold and frankincense in their bag. God's doing a miracle right in front of them. They just don't know it. They just feel their weakness. You sometimes feel weak when you're starting a new church or starting a new business or starting something for God. You feel, no one's going to come. This isn't going to work. We're doing a carol service. Is anybody going to come along to that? And you feel the weakness of it. Maybe you have a friend who you want to bring to, to, into, to know Jesus and they don't come to church or they don't become a Christian yet or they, they've got just loads of questions and you think, oh, this isn't going to work. This is weak. My friend, don't see it from the wrong angle. See it from God's angle. See what God might be doing even when it looks like folly. Because in the end, faith doesn't leave us as heroes. It, it, it reminds us of who the real hero is. And that's what this story is all about. I've been spending a whole message talking about these men who did an incredible journey. It's really about a God who did an incredible journey. However far they traveled, <laughs> it's nothing compared to the traveling done by the baby. This is the God of glory, the eternal Logos, the word of the Father, becoming a little baby. Too small for toys. Just a tiny baby. What a journey. What a journey God comes on. This is our God. He comes all the way into creation. He comes all the way into humanity to meet us. He goes all the way to the cross, to the humiliation and the shame, the torture and the agony, the exposure and the isolation of the cross. That's the journey God goes on. Don't let's be thinking about the great journeys we've made or the great journeys we're gonna make with our lives following our star. Let's be reminded of the great journey he's done for us. Be confident he's faithful. He's faithful. I can trust him. I can trust him. He's faithful. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, in the giving of your son at Christmas, we see your faithfulness on display. And I wanna pray, Lord, that as we take bread and wine in just a moment, you will 
help us to steady our lives on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. That we would be people of faith. And because we're people of faith, we'll be people of great joy. Great joy, exceeding joy. In Jesus' name, amen.